the Gospel of Mark, the first chapter. Here we have in these brief few passages description that is incredibly dramatic, incredibly impactful, and is really the hinge of history. One could say, in fact, that this changes everything. Now, after John was arrested, Jesus came to Galilee, proclaiming the good news of God, saying, The time has been fulfilled. The kingdom of God has come. Repent and believe in the good news. And as Jesus passed along the Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon and his brother Andrew casting their net into the sea, for they were fishermen. And Jesus said to them, Follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. And immediately they left their nets, and they followed him. As he went a little farther, he saw James, son of Zebedee, and his brother John, who were in their boat, mending their nets. Immediately he called to them, and they left their father Zebedee in the boat with the hired men and followed him. This is the word of God, and we together the people of God, so we say thanks be to God. There's been some fascinating research done lately upon the village of Magdala, known as Migdal in the day of Jesus. We think, yes, that's where Mary of Magdala came from. And the early church fathers and throughout the years until recent times used to preach this passage saying that when James and John and Simon and Andrew were called by Christ, that they were common people. And the message that we were to take and the lesson we were to learn that even regular workday folk can accomplish great things for Christ, which undoubtedly is true. But research on Magdala has revealed something far different. It rather was an incredibly wealthy community and we understand now that the fishing industry there was a tightly controlled family-owned business passed on from one generation to another. Hence, we have Zebedee, and understand it was Zebedee and sons who were operating that fishing industry there. And so we understand that perhaps these four, called by Christ, were leaving quite a bit behind. The family legacy, pressure supporting others, all of those hired people who were in the boat for whom they were responsible as employers. But irrespective of their economic status, irrespective of where they were at their age and stage in life when Jesus Christ called them, what we know is this changed everything. Because from that moment, the movement of Christ, which became known as the way in the early church, shot forward, and it really transformed the world, and it has not yet stopped. There are two things that were going on when Jesus encountered these fishermen. First one is that they were casting their nets. And that is a beautiful and wonderful way for us to think about what it means for us to broadcast the good news and to be able to throw out into the deep and to reach as many as we possibly can for the cause of Jesus Christ. And one of the things at Methodist Home for Children that we are always trying to do is to broadcast the good news. And we are trying to cast the net as widely as we can. One of the things that happens when you are fishing with a net is that you are going to pull in whatever it is that the seas or the oceans offer to you. And you may be able to predict somehow what type of fish are running, but almost always within that net that you have cast, there are going to be some surprises. One of the beautiful things that uh, one of the beautiful people that has surprised us, Methodist Home for Children, is a child who came to us as an infant. At the time that she was born, it was discovered that she had a very rare chromosomal defect, 
so rare that the uh, physicians who are attending to her, even here in Raleigh, the medical capital of the world, if you will, um, they were uncertain exactly what to expect as she developed. She was unable to eat on her own, and so she had a G-tube. She was unable to stand or to walk, and we knew that the neurological challenges were going to include the fact that she was having some difficulty uh, learning to speak. When her mother, who lived in a county adjacent uh, to Raleigh, uh, called around trying to find a place uh, for her child, there was not an early childhood program that would accept her. And mom was discouraged and disconsolate. And someone told her about the Jordan Center and Methodist Home for Children. And she happened to work in Raleigh while she did not live in Wake County. And so she thought maybe this would be possible. And hoping against hope, she showed up at the door, explained the circumstance, expected to be told, no, that's too much trouble. We can't handle someone like that. And was just thrilled and delighted when she found out that we would welcome her child, and even though that she was coming with a G-tube. And from the moment that child came, her life began to be transformed, and also the lives of the others in the classroom with her. One of the things that we believe deeply in is a blended learning environment, and we know that children who are typically developing and children who are perhaps have got some developmental delays or who learn differently all do better when they are in a classroom environment with one another. And this child has had a number of therapies ongoing several times a week, and we were able to accommodate those therapists so that the child didn't have to constantly be leaving in order to go to the doctor's office. And so it was that she had speech therapy, um, that she had physical therapy, that she had occupational therapy, and she had therapy in order to help her learn uh, to swallow and to chew. She was almost three years of age when, for the first time, she was able to return a greeting to one of the staff. And almost everyone in the center stood and cheered when they heard this news. And it was done just matter-of-factly. When the girl came in, who was usually nonverbal, very warm and very affirming and would hug people, and they would always say hi to her, and she would let them know that she was greeting them in return. But on this particular day when the breakthrough occurred, someone greeted her and said hi, and she simply repeated hi back to them. And what a watershed moment. And we knew at that point in time that this God who is God of creation is creating still and that this did indeed change everything for that child, for her family and her family. Another great change came when she was able to begin to swallow and she could begin to chew and to eat. And she had to have a meal that was differently prepared uh, from her classmates. But with the G-tube gone, she could take softened food uh, that had been prepared for her and broken down and reduced so that she was able to sit at table and to feast uh, at lunch on the same things that her classmates were. Now, it's not all been easy, as you can imagine, and if I'm describing something that sounds beautiful, um, it's a, a tremendous amount of work. One of the things that she did not like uh, was physical therapy, because in order to get her legs strong enough and in order to get her to a point where she was able to stand so that she could enter into a public school environment when she was old enough, um, the physical therapist would get a chair for her and put some skids on the legs, and she would have to push the chair down the hallway And in her uh, own way, she would be grumbling and complaining when the therapist would ever do one more lap. And if you've ever had physical therapy, you can relate to the challenge of being pushed and told to do yet one more. But it is a beautiful and wonderful thing for us at Methodist Home for Children to be able to live into this gospel and to be able to cast our nets out and to try to serve those um, who have come into our presence 
And while no church is a full-service church and Methodist Home for Children can't serve every child, we revel in the fact that we're able to serve many uh, who would be neglected and who would be ignored elsewhere. The second task that the fishermen were doing also was transformative. And if you have lived any length of time, it's going to sound familiar to you, is they weren't casting their net. They were repairing their net. And instead of doing the broadcast, they were about the business of trying to put back together that which had fallen irreparably apart. And that is another great descriptor of the work that we do as we are trying to make disciples for Jesus Christ at Methodist Home for Children. A few years ago, we had a young man who entered into one of our multi-purpose homes for juvenile justice, and we are the largest provider for the state of North Carolina for therapeutic residential alternatives to incarceration. This young man came to us out of one of the state's youth prisons, and when he came, he came with a head full of poetry and a desire to write. His life trajectory uh, was really a tragic one. It had started promisingly. His parents were both in the military. So he had moved several times well, when, by a very early age, and sadly, both his mother and father became uh, opioid addicts. And as that addiction took a stronger and stronger hold on them, their family life deteriorated and the home disintegrated to the point where this child was uh, on the street, essentially on his own by age 11. And the youth gangs are savvy recruiters. And they are waiting outside of elementary and middle schools, and they will look for the child who is lonely, for the child who is dirty and unkempt, for the child who appears to be hungry and to have no shoes. And what they do is recruit by offering them a false family. And so it is that he was contacted by one of the older members of the gang, and he's given cash in order to go, and he goes to McDonald's and is able to eat his fill for the first time in as long as he can remember. They take him shopping and buy him a pair of Nikes that he never dreamt that he would ever be able to own or to afford. And perhaps most importantly, they gave him a place to sleep where he had his own bed and a toothbrush so he could practice good grooming and take care of, keep himself washed. And as part of their giving to him, they began demanding of him. And they started him small, flipping, as they call it, when you go through parking lots, hitting the door handles in order to see if the car is open and so that you can take and plunder what is in. And then he moved to more severe crimes, including breaking and entering into private residences. And when he was arrested, he looks at it now as being a saving act by law enforcement and something that God was involved in. Because when he was arrested, he had been holding, at uh, age 15, a gun to the head of a hotel clerk. And as he was spending time in jail, he reflected upon the fact that he had become somebody that he did not recognize. And he had become someone of whom he was afraid, and he knew deeply that he needed to change. As he came to us from the multipurpose home, he knew uh, that he had a story to tell, and he wanted to share how God had been at work in his life. He suggested to a staff member that he wanted to write an autobiography. Staff member couldn't resist laughing, and <laughs> dude, you're 15 years of age. You haven't really lived long enough to write an autobiography. But he suggested that if he had an itch to write, why don't you try something else, either do short-form stories or else perhaps try poetry. And so it was that he began to exercise um, that artistic itch and began to narrate his tale and his journey of faith by writing poems. And he wrote these poems, and they were published in a book uh, that was known as the Society of the White Walls, 
which is what he called the youth prison that he had been in. And it is a beautiful and wonderful thing for us to be able to participate in this work of mending and to help people whose lives have fallen completely apart to come back together again and to enter into a relationship with their Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Small section of the scriptures that we read this morning, Gospel of Mark, which is brief, and it contains the word immediately 34 times in its 16 chapters, and it changes everything if we hear Jesus' command and if we obey. For when Jesus comes upon uh, these two sets of siblings, he calls them, and they understand the urgency of the imperative, and they hear, and they did indeed follow him and become fishers for all people. So it is my earnest hope and prayer that all we who are part of the Methodist Church are going to understand that this word is eternally contemporary and that we are to be ones who hear and respond immediately as well. And for all that you have done and for all that you are about to do, I stand here this day and say thanks be to God and amen. Well, it's been great to worship with you together during this time. Uh, we'd love to invite you to come and join us for worship in person or online, live on Sunday mornings or throughout the week. You can find more information about our worship times or worship with us online at fbumc.org. And while you're there, uh, you can find plenty of ways to connect with us, uh, whether that's uh, connecting in sort of an opportunity for community around here or serving the greater Fuquay community around us. Uh, so we'd love to invite you to join us for those. If this is a resource that provides you spiritual sustenance and you'd like to partner with us in making it possible for everyone else while you're there, the top right-hand corner, there's a button that says give, or you can go to fvumc.org slash give and make a gift there that makes the mission and ministry of this place possible. We're so thankful for everyone who partners with us uh, to do just that. Listen, it's been great. It's been great to be together with you uh, in this moment, and we look forward to worshiping again with you real soon. We'll see you then.